Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So if you have a Bible with you or you have a Bible app on your mobile device, please turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, we're going to be reading from uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And if you're not so familiar with where the book of Hebrews is, it's actually in the last third of the New Testament. And it's located between two small books, the books of Philemon and the books of James. If you make it all the way to Re- Revelations, you went a little too far. Um, so uh, Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to be beginning uh, in verse 19. And the word reads, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he has opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priesthood over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with, with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near this is the word of the lord um there was a middle-aged woman who um was on a business trip, and she was on her way home, and uh, was gonna go, was was flying home. And so, naturally, what people do when you fly, you get to the airport early because who knows how long it's going to take to get through security. So she got there early, got through security. It actually went really fast, and so she found she had a little time on her hands. And so she decided it's been a long week. Um, I got a few minutes to kill. She decides it was time to treat herself, and so she goes into the little store, gets a bottle of water, and gets herself a package of cookies. And uh, as she does, she goes in there, she pays for her cookies, and then after she gets them, she then packs packs her stuff up and grabs her purse and her carry-on belongings, and she makes her way over to where um, there was an empty seat in the lobby next to the the gate that she was going to board. And... um, as she sat there and got settled in, an older gentleman who obviously looked like he was traveling for business as well sat down next to her. And so as she got herself situated, she found her package of cookies and she opened them up and she pulled one out and set the package beside her and began to, um, to enjoy the cookie and closing her eyes, thinking of home, and she would, which, which she would be in just a few hours. And then as she's enjoying the moment, she hears the rustle of a package and she opens her eyes to see that the man next to her had pulled a package of cookies over to him, and he was taking one out, you know, and he was looking at her with a very strange look, and she, like, uh, smiling, like, as in, okay, you're welcome, and she pulled the package back over to her. And then a few minutes later, she pulled out a cookie, and she began to enjoy that, and as soon as she did that, she heard the rustling again, and then she noticed this man was pulling the cookies back over to him, and he took out a cookie and was eating one, and she was thinking, the nerve of some people... I don't know what I should do here. Should I make a fuss? Should I throw the rest of these cookies in his face? Should I make a scene? And she thought, you know what? I'm on my way home. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to get security involved. I certainly don't want to cause any reason for them to lock this place down. So I'll just go ahead and just be polite and allow him to have that. And she pulls the package back to herself and she continues to enjoy her cookies. And then after she, um, after that, she picks out another cookie. She starts to eat that. And then she again, hears the rustling as this man drags the package back over and he pulls the cookie out. And she's now glaring at him and he kind of glares back at her and breaks the cookie in half 
puts half of the back in the package and slides back to her, puts the other half in his mouth, grabs his stuff in a huff, and leaves. Okay? And she was thinking, oh my goodness, this is the weirdest thing. I'm going to have to talk to my friends about this when I get home. This is going to be an interesting, interesting, interesting story to tell my friends. And as she then hears her boarding call for her plane, she gets up and she packages her stuff up and she reaches in her purse to pull out her boarding pass and she finds in her purse an unopened package of cookies. You see, the moral of the story is that there are some things that we believe to be true that simply are not true. There are beliefs that we have and beliefs that we hold firmly that are founded on faulty information. This woman believed that this man to be a pretentious jerk, and this belief was built on the foundational assumption that, that, that was completely wrong, but at the moment appeared completely true. He was not eating her cookies. She was eating his. And this kind of stuff happens all of the time. You see, there are lots of things that people believe that are built on faulty assumptions. There are lots of things that we hold on to that are built on faulty facts. That's the reality that we have to face. We have this tendency to believe false things, including things about science. I mean, many people have heard that we only get to use 10% of our brains. We've heard that since we were kids. Well, that's actually scientifically inaccurate. That's not true. Many people believe false things about history. We've all heard Paul Revere's story of, of, of running, riding into Lexington and he's shouting, the British are coming, the British are coming, which never actually happened. That is not a historical fact because Paul Revere at the time, like the colonials that were there were British and they identified themselves as British. So it wouldn't have made any sense for him to say the British were coming. He said something completely different. We believe lots of historical facts that are not true. But worse than that, we believe many things that are untrue. They're built on faulty information about our own faith, which is what this series is about. It's about the lies that many people believe about Christianity. And this series, we have talked about a number of these things. In fact, in the first week, we talked about the faulty belief system that has come to dominate the perspective in the church at large, which is called moralistic therapeutic deism. That's a mouthful, I know. Moralistic therapeutic deism is a belief system that is a faulty belief system built on faulty assumptions. Now, I don't have time to explain exactly all the details, again, of moralistic therapeutic deism, but but just suffice to say what it is is a belief system that says that God is distant Right? And that I don't really have much to do with him until I need him and then I pray to him and call on him like a, like a cosmic butler. And then the point of the gospel and the point of the Christian faith is for me to fulfill my life and be happy all the while being kind and nice to everyone around me. That's the point of the Christian faith, which again is a false belief system built on false assumptions that have been taught by the church for the last 50 to 60 years. And if you've missed that discussion, then you need to listen to what we talked about before so you can get a full handle on this. And you can do that either by going to our church website or our um, uh, SoundCloud page. And the addresses to both are in your bulletin. And then in the second week, we talked about the lie that people believe about being born essentially good. Um, Again, this is a faulty (coughs) assumption. Right? Most people believe, including many Christians, that people are born essentially good, that they're just born into a corrupted world that makes them bad. But that is not the truth. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are born in sin. We are sinners by nature, incapable of saving ourselves. That's why we need Christ. That is why we need a Savior. That's, that's why we need the gospel. And again, you, know, uh, you can listen to that particular message online as well. 
as well. And then last week we had a guest speaker named Dr. David Larson, and he began to talk about a number of false beliefs that Christians get caught up in. He talked about the myth of, you know, a good Christian is, is a busy Christian, that, that somehow that we need to continually fill our lives up with activity and not rest. He also talked about that, that, that mature Christians, uh, the, the myth that mature Christians don't have struggles, that for some reason if you'll put your faith in Christ and then just believe, then somehow your life will always be good. That's a lie, right? And then that, that you know, and then that he um, talked about how a blessed Christian is is rich and popular, which is the prosperity uh, gospel, right? And then he talked about the myth um, that 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 somehow Christians must fit into our culture. This idea that we need to conform to the world instead of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And again, these are beliefs founded upon faulty assumptions. And and there's a lot of things that, that people believe about the Christian faith that are just simply wrong. Okay, and they're built on on ideas that are really flawed and faulty assumptions and faulty information. And as we as we talked about last week, the reason for that, the reason for this in the, the church is the simple fact that the church in our culture over the last 40 to 50 years has failed. It has failed to teach a robust Orthodox foundational theology. The church at large has failed to dig deep the roots of faith into the souls of men and teach them the essential doctrines of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Instead, in our culture, the church has become concerned with just being nice to each other. The church has become obsessed with not offending anyone. The church has become about people feeling about their feelings instead of the truth. The church has become about increasing numbers uh, instead of spiritual maturity. The church has become focused on personal self-improvement instead of the gospel of Christ. The church has gotten sidetracked with endless and unfruitful obsessions about third order issues such as eschatology. I mean, I think that the, the, the subject of the end times is a valuable topic to talk about in the church, but this generation has become absolutely obsessed with it. I mean, there are people who call themselves Christians who know everything there is to know about dispensational theology and, and how the end times might work themselves out, but they don't fully understand the doctrinal foundation of the church and the essential truths. They can talk about the millennial kingdom and the blood moons until the cows come home, but they can't fully express the doctrines of grace or the inerrancy of scripture or the divinity of Christ or the, or the idea of original sin or the difference between monergism and synergism, which, believe me, is much more important to your soul. And what's worse, this fixation that has led the church to become obsessed with pseudo-politics and conspiracy theories that that no matter how ridiculous they are, people follow them. And, And this obsession has caused many Christians to uncritically, which means you don't actually think about it, you uncritically believe, uncritically believe even more lies. Lies about history, lies about politics, and even lies about current events. The church has become so distracted with non essential things, and as a result, the church has become theologically weak, and it has left us biblically illiterate, and spiritually immature as a church culture. And as the result, you know, there, there has been a church culture that's, that's being bounced around by every wind of doctrine, right? And it's this lack of spiritual immaturity and this obsession with other things that has caused us to lose sight of the foundational truths of the gospel of Christ. You see, the church has failed to teach a robust foundational theology that is focused on Orthodox, life-saving truths of the gospel. That's why 
That's why we believe the lies that we do. That's why we are susceptible to things like moralistic therapeutic deism. That's why we are susceptible to conspiracy theories. That is why we are susceptible to cultural uh, postmodern view of the truth. And so, as I said, this series is about these lies that we believe and then using the word of God to then begin to build the church back into this foundational, robust, orthodox theology. And our commitment then that we made from the very beginning in week one is to teach and to learn this rock-solid, foundational truth of the gospel. And so that, that we can, in order that we can fulfill the mission that we were created to fulfill. Our mission is to create spiritually maturing Christ followers, people who are growing into the fullness of the image of Christ, right? So that way we can be equipped to do what we were called to do. And so with that today, we're going to look at a lie that lots of people believe, especially a lot of Christians believe. In fact, it's a lie that I used to believe, (laughs) I used to believe it, and, and, and it's not something that's promoted so much outside the Christian faith, but it's certainly something many, many people who call themselves Christians believe, and it actually has been very destructive, and it, it has done a great deal of harm to, to individuals. It's certainly done uh, a lot of harm to, to the gospel, and it's done a great deal of harm to our culture at large. And, and, and so before I jump in here, though, and, and tell you more about this lie, I actually want to just have you guys just take a deep breath. All right, just take a deep breath, relax. I just need you to kind of get comfortable and, and, and I need you to really like clear your mind so you can hear, legitimately hear what I'm about to say. Because, because some of you are gonna hear this and some of you are just, it's just not gonna set well with you. Some of you are gonna hear what I'm about to say and you're just gonna be like, Oh, I don't know. And I'm, I'm just being honest, okay? I mean, you have some preconceived ideas probably that I might challenge today. I mean, you might have some beliefs that I might step on a little bit. You might say, you know, um, I just don't agree with that. I just don't like what you're saying. And, and that's fine. I mean, I'm, you can do that. But do us all a favor, okay? Take the time to hear what I have to say. Hear what the word of God has to say. And once you leave here, then, then go and think about it, all right? Think about what we're saying here. And think about what the word of God is actually saying. And I'm not asking you to believe because of me. I never ask you to believe anything because of me. I'm asking you to listen and to think about this, you know, because I'm gonna appeal to the word of God. I'm gonna appeal to church history to expose this lie. And, and, and a lot of what we're going to talk about comes directly from what I gleaned from the, the uh, G3 conference that Keith and I went to in Atlanta, Georgia, which is about the Reformation and foundation, foundational truths. And, and this is something that has been on my heart and, and mind for quite a while, actually. Um, and it's something I've been wrestling with. But, but my time in Georgia has really helped me to solidify my thoughts on this and helped me to get clear about the things that I believe God wants us to know and, and understand. And as I said, you might not agree with me. Now, some of you will absolutely agree with me. You'll be like, amen to that, brother. And that's, that's awesome. But some of you will say, you know, I just don't agree with that. You know, I just don't think that that's right. And as I said, that's okay. Uh, but what I want you to do is I want you to hear what I have to say and what God has to say uh, and I want you to listen from basically beginning to end here. And I want you to, 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 to not just stop there. I want you to then take what we talk about here home. Okay, I want you to take it home with you. I want you to get before God in prayer and ask him for insight. And I want you to think about and meditate on this and search the scriptures about what we're talking about today. After, after we get done here, I want you to take everything that I have said 
And I want you to examine it by the light of the word of God. Then make a decision. Don't let your feelings be your guide. Don't let your preconceived ideas be your guide. Let the word of God and the Holy Spirit be your guide. Is that fair enough? All right. So the lie that we're going to talk about today that so many Christians in our culture believe is this. It's the lie that I don't need the church. I don't need the church. I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church, right? I don't need the church because to be a Christian, I can be a Christian just me and Jesus. I don't have to be belong to no church. I don't have to belong to no group of people, right? I don't have to go to no building on Sunday morning, right? I don't have to orchestrate my life around the church. In fact, I'm not even down with organized religion anyway. Organized religion is the pariah of the world, okay? I'm just not like that. I, I love Jesus. I don't have to be a part of some organized religion. I don't need the church. I don't have to hang around them hypocrites anyway, right? I, I don't want to have to listen to that pastor. I mean, I mean, who is he anyway? I mean, he's just a man who went to school. And, and I mean, the apostles, they didn't go to school. Why do I need to listen to him? I mean, just, it's just me and Jesus and the Bible. In fact, you know what the Reformation was about? Just me and the Bible, sola scripture. I just need the Bible myself. And, and that's how, isn't that how it's supposed to be? I just don't need the church. I don't need to be part of a local church. Let me just, let me just tell you something. That is absolutely, it's a lie. It's a lie that people tell themselves. And make no mistake, it is absolutely a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. From the beginning, it's always been about believers being a part of a local church. In fact, D.A. Carson, um, one of our leading New Testament scholars of our time, famously said, it would be inconceivable in the first century to call yourself a Christian, but not join a church. Okay? One goes with the other. To become a Christian meant becoming part of a local church. It has always been that way from the beginning, and it will always be that way until Christ returns. And so to say I don't need the church is simply a lie. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Okay? I'm not saying that, that you can't be saved if you don't go to church. That's not what I'm saying here. Okay? That's not what I'm implying here. Okay? Uh, what I'm saying, though, is that God's will and plan, and purpose for everyone who put their faith into Christ is to become part of, and not just some universal church, which includes every believer at all points of time, but but also to become part of a local church. That is God's plan. That is God's plan for your life. It's God's plan for my life, and to deny that's a lie. Another pastor from Africa who I listen to a lot, whose name I cannot pronounce because he's from Africa, all right? He says this, he says, saying that you belong to the church without belonging to a church is like saying you're married without a wife, okay? It's contradictory. Christian, you need to be a part of the local church. You need the local church, and the local church needs you, and that is exactly the way that God has designed for it to be. But more and more people have bought into the lie that the church has become, so much so that the church has become weak. The church has failed to build a robust foundational theology, particularly the theology of the church, which, by the way, is called ecclesiology. I know that you wanted to learn a brand new big word today, but there it is. Okay, ecclesiology means the study of the church or the theology of the church. And just as theology proper has been weakened in our culture because we have not taught the foundational truths very well, so it is with the theology of the church. 
We have a weak theology and view of the church because people today now see the church from their own lenses of their own desires and their own perspective and their own wants rather than from God's perspective. And let me just be very clear about this. God has a perspective. There is a clear perspective, a clear theology of the church in the word of God. God makes it clear his view and his design for the church in the Bible. It's in there. It's just that the church hasn't taught it very well. And we're influenced more by culture than we are doctrines in church history. And most of us have not taken upon ourselves to seek God's view on the church. We have been content to formulate our own opinions about this subject based on our own ideas and, and our own wants and our own perceived, pre- preconceived notions about this subject. And, and to make it worse... To make it worse, there are three important cultural factors at work in the modern world that are contributing to this view, to the weakening of the church and our ecclesiology. And, and they're, they're, they're issues that actually I want to address for you today, briefly. The first issue is that we face in our, in our world is there is a growing aversion. There's a growing aversion to church membership. People, including Christians, are growing adverse to the idea of belonging to a local church. People don't want to join a church. And there are many reasons for that, but there are three that I want to examine just really quick. So letter A, if you're outlining letter A, the first reason why people are are becoming adverse to church membership is because of a false theology. They have a false theology Okay, And I can tell you right now where that, that false theology comes from. In fact, many of you probably possess the same false theology. I know that I've possessed it for a long time. And this false theology comes directly from a misrepresentation of the scripture. There's a verse in the Bible that has been taken so far out of context that it actually has become unrecognizable and it's actually helping to destroy the biblical foundation for the theology of the church. And let me just share this with you. And believe me, when I share this verse with you, you are going to know exactly what I'm talking about because many of you said this, these same words, okay? This, and because I've said them too. So um, this verse gets quoted so often. So I, um, it, it, here it is. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Jesus says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. Who's familiar with that verse? Yeah, all right. Most of us, right? You see, I don't need to go to church on Sunday. All I need to do is just get a couple people with me, and then we have church right there, right? I don't need to go to church, right? Just get a couple believers with me. We're standing in the presence of the Lord at church, and and then we're two or three are gathered, then we have church, right? In fact, Jesus said in verse 19, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, uh, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. All we need to do is just come together and agree, and presto changeo, and it's done, Right? And even more than that, Jesus said, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. All right, we have the power of heaven itself when there's just a couple of us people together. And we have the power to bind and loose the devil and the demons. And, and all we got to do is get two or three people together, which means we don't have to be part of no church to have that kind of power. We just get, get here gathered, just a couple of us. All right, how many of you have heard this before? All right, how many of you have said this before? I know I have, okay, all right. It sounds good, right? It sounds good, but, but, you know, just get a couple of believers together and we have church. But the problem is this is not what Jesus is talking about at all. It's actually taking what Jesus is talking about completely 100% out of context. 
You see, these verses, they have a context. They have verses that they're connected to. They are part of a, a bigger conversation. And if you don't understand the conversation, then you can't fully understand what these texts are saying. In fact, let's just take a look at this conversation. We find it in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. And it begins with, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. So it starts off with, hey, we're talking about a brother, not your physical brother, a brother in Christ who has sinned, okay? This is an issue that the church always has to deal with is sin in the church. If your brother sins against you, then go tell him. So what you're supposed to do is say, hey, man, you're in sin, all right? We need to, we need to help you get straight. You need to love, love them. You need to be gentle with them, but you need to help correct your brother in Christ and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So you just do it privately. You don't call him out on Facebook right? You don't, you know, tell, tell him about it on Twitter, right? right? And it says, if he listens to you, then you've gained your brother. You've restored him, right? But if he does not listen to you, does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if he won't listen to you, then get a couple other wise people from the church, bring them along, and then you three talk to them, right? Try to correct him. But if he doesn't want to listen, then at least you have witnesses who, who will validate what you're saying, right? And if he refuses to listen, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be a Gentile to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So what Jesus is saying is like, if you can't correct him and you can't get a couple people to correct him and you bring them for the church and they won't even listen to the church, then what you need to do is you need to remove them from fellowship. You need to remove them as a member of the church. They are, they are the same as an unbeliever. They are not contributing to the body of Christ. They are a toxin to the body of Christ, right? That's what the, the context here is church discipline. And then look what he says. He says, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bind, bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two, two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. You see, these verses here are in the context of church discipline. Okay. They're in the context of church discipline. You have to understand this, all right? So this is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, if someone sins, then you go to them and you tell them about it, right? And if they won't listen to you, then you go and you get a couple of brothers in Christ and you sit down with them and you help them to see their sin. If that doesn't work, then take them to what? The local church. And if that doesn't work, then you put them out of the church. Treat them as an unbeliever. Revoke their membership. And then Jesus makes a point to say, and if you follow this prescription, right? If you do what I'm saying to do, you do the things I'm calling you to do. If you handle it this way, I'm telling you then, whatever you decide, I'm 100% with you. That's the point of these verses right here, that you have the authority on earth to make these kind of decisions, to revoke someone's membership out of the church. If you decide that they're out of the church, then guess what? They're out. If, they're, if you decide to restore them back to the church, then you have restored them. Whatever you bind is bound. Whatever you loose is loosened. Whatever you agree on together this way, when you come together, right, right when you come together as a group like this to administer church discipline, like I'm telling you, that I am with you, and you have the authority authority from me, from God to do that. That's what Jesus is talking about here. This isn't about two or three people gathered together to be the church. It's not what Jesus is talking about. It's completely out of context, right? This isn't about two or three people needing to pray together so God will do what we want him to do, right? And this sure isn't about having the power to bind and loosen the devil or demons. I can't tell many people I've, I've heard pray, I bind you, Satan, from your evil plan. Wow. Then who keeps loosening them? 
Because you keep binding him, he keeps finding me and messing with me, right? If you're going to bind him, then keep him bound. I mean, let's all just agree on that. How about that, right? Yeah. You see, it's not about any of that. Jesus is talking about church discipline. And notice he says, get two or three people together. And if that don't work, then go get what? The church. But I thought two or three were the, no. That's not how that works, see? You see, one One of the reasons why people have this aversion to church membership is because somewhere along the line, the church began to teach a false theology of the church. People have this false idea what what, what they think it is, and it's not even biblical. Now, the second reason, or letter B on your outline, for people who have an aversion to church membership is because people have come to believe a false history of the church. People have bought in this idea that Jesus is good, the church is bad. Right? I mean, you heard this before. I love Jesus. I hate the church. Yeah, right. I love you, but I hate your wife. Okay. It's kind of the same thing, right? And the church has always had this idea. People have like this idea that church has always messed things up. It's always been about controlling people. It's been about political power. It's been about, you know, um, corruption. And, and, and the church has been at the center of most wars. And, and it's caused of human suffering. And, and it's, the lack of, it's caused the lack of human progress in science during the dark ages, right? We've all heard those stories. And I can do a whole message, even a whole series on this point alone. But I'm just going to point out a couple of things to help correct this perspective. Number one, the church, though imperfect as an institution and run by imperfect people, it has been God's chosen instrument for purveying the truth to the world in every generation. Paul tells Timothy very clearly that the church is God's church and it is the pillar of truth. We know the truth about Christ and the foundational teachings about our faith because of the church and because it's been the guardian and the protector of the word of God and our faith. You see, the church at large has gotten off track in the past. There's no two ways about that. And the church at large right now is struggling along. But God has always sent faithful men to correct the course of the church. That's what the Reformation was about. And right now there's a resurgence toward Reformed theology. Why? Because God's people have seen that something's wrong with the church. The church is God's chosen instrument, is the pillar of truth. Number two, the church has been an integral part of human flourishing. It's because of the work of the church that things like hospitals and orphanages and schools exist. It is because of the church that science actually advanced throughout history. Most scientists up until recently were Christians, right? And it also flourished during the dark ages. It's also because of the church that concepts like individual liberty, equality, human rights, women's rights, and children's rights even exist. Those are all Christian ideas. Ideas. And it's because of the church that slavery was abolished in the free world. It's because of the church that right now, hunger, worldwide hunger, is at a 25-year low. Not to mention the fact that 97%, if you want to memorize the fact, that's a good one, 97% of all the wars ever fought that are in recorded history were secular conflicts and had nothing to do with faith. Not to mention that the largest killers of humans in all of history have been secular and non-Christian government regimes. Just look at communist Russia and China alone. Okay? The church has been God's agent to train and equip and to disciple each generation. Those who have a firm faith built on a robust theological foundation didn't get it by themselves. They got it by being trained and educated through the church. So this aversion to church membership... It comes with a false theology, it comes from a false history, 
And our culture has become averse to church membership because we as a culture are becoming less social. People are just less and less social than they were before. I mean, we have all this social media. We have all kinds of ways to connect with everybody, but we struggle to connect with the people with us in the same room. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but wherever you go, people aren't talking. They got their face in a screen, okay? And I don't know if you've never noticed, but more and more people online, they're posting things like, I just don't want to be around people. You know, they, they identify themselves with, with introverts and reclusives, right? More and more people are saying that they're withdrawn. They don't want to be around people. They don't like people. They can't stand people. I hate being around big crowds. I would rather be around animals than, than people. This is a growing trend, right? Why? Because we're just growing more and more disconnected as society. The more connected we become to the internet, the more connected we become to social media, the more connected we are through screen time, the less and less we're connected with the persons in our actual world around us. Okay? So there's this aversion to joining the church. I just don't want to be around people. I don't want those people looking at me or judging me or holding me accountable. I don't want them to know what I'm up to. I don't want them to know what's in my life. I don't want them to tell me anything about my issues. So we become really less social. But let's look what the author of Hebrews says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And here's the important part. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together, but as is the habit of some. Not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some. Sounds very familiar. But encouraging one another, that's what's missing in our culture, is a church body that's encouraging each other. But encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. This antisocial aversion to the membership of the church is not biblical. Okay? We were created to do to life with other people. We weren't created to be alone. We were created to live in community with one another. We were created to come together corporately to lift our voices up to God. We were created to come together to hear the preaching of the word. That's why the Bible talks about preaching so much. We were created for fellowship and encouragement. And this is only available within the body of believers. That is what we were made for. This aversion of membership to the church is a social problem. It is not a biblical one. And the only way that we're going to get over this is by becoming part of our church. Now, the second thing at work in our culture that's weakening the church is this growing reliance on alternative sources of spiritual care. If you're a Christian, you need someone in your life in charge of your spiritual care. You need someone to help guide you. You need someone to help you grow. You need spiritual care. But more and more people are turning away from the local church because of these antisocial reasons and toward alternative sources of spiritual care. They're turning to books and podcasts and audio sermons and video studies and celebrity pastors and for their spiritual care. People are leaning on devotion sent to them on their phone or sent to them in their mail. And people, because of technology and this false theology, they think they're taking the church with them everywhere they go in the palm of their hand. 
People are listening to sermons and messages on YouTube and audio, uh, sermon audio and even SoundCloud. And they're listening to their favorite preachers thinking they're getting fed. And please don't get me wrong and misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you shouldn't listen to these sermons. In fact, I probably listen to more preaching and sermons and devotions than anybody in this room. I can probably name more pastors and preachers and have listened to more pastors and preachers than anybody here. And I know what's out there and I know what's available. And there's a lot of great stuff out there. There's a lot of great teaching and preaching out there that will lift your heart up. And it's useful and it's encouraging. But the reality is, is whatever you can get out of that preaching online, they're still not the same as somebody being appointed in your life by God to take care of your soul. It's not the same as having someone in your life knowing who you are and feeding you the word of God. You know, which, which is exactly what pastors and shepherds are supposed to do. We are called to feed the sheep. See, see, the pastors, your local pastor goes before God and prays, Lord, here are the people that you have entrusted to me. Here are their problems. Here are their personal struggles. Here's the victories they're having. Here are their personal needs. Okay, here's what they're going through, Lord. Give me the strength to minister to them. Lord, give me a word to speak to them into their lives that actually connects with them and helps them to grow. Lord, help me to impart the truth so that they can hear it and be comforted. Feed, help me feed them. Help me disciple them. Help me counsel and encourage them. That's what the local church is supposed to do. All right? See, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it, 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 and that's not what you're going to get in these alternative sources of spiritual care, okay? I mean, they're supposed to be supplements to your spiritual nutrition. They're not supposed to be the main source, okay? You're not going to get fed the way you need to get fed without the local church. It's not God's design for, you, for your life to be connected to some preacher 3,000 miles away who doesn't even know your name, who can't invest in you personally, who can't call you up and say, hey, hey man, how's your family? How are your kids, Right? Who can't answer your phone at four o'clock in the morning, you know, when everything's falling apart. Believe me, my phone rings at that time in the morning, okay? It isn't God's design for you to be pastored by someone who can't speak the word of truth into your life in the middle of the night, in the middle of your crisis, who can't pray for you at the hour of your greatest need. That is not God's plan for your life. God has set the structure of the church up for a reason. He's given um, under shepherds and leaders to the church for a reason. That's why the book of Ephesians says in chapter 4 that God gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, spiritual maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, the church, joined and held together by every joint with with which it is equipped when each part is working together properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God has given the church these leadership roles so that you can grow up in the body and you can grow into spiritual maturity. And let me just be really blunt and frank with you. You will not grow up into spiritual maturity on your own. Hear me. You will not grow up into spiritual maturity by yourself. No one grows to spiritual maturity by themselves. No one grows to spiritual maturity on their own without 
Nobody can grow to spiritual maturity by these supplemental forms of spiritual care. No one grows to spiritual maturity without the church because no one can do it alone. That's not how God designed for it to be. Even me as a pastor, I have people who take care of my spirit have spiritual care in my life. I have spiritual advisors that I talk to, people that minister to me and feed me on a regular basis, people that I can talk to who are very real, right? People that, 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 that can listen to me, right? And, and believe me, I listen to, to pastors like D.A. Carson and Matt Chandler and John Piper and, and John MacArthur, but I still have pastors and ministers in my life that I actually can go to for counsel and for prayer. I have pastors and ministers that I go to for prayer, and I have an advisory board here in this church of spiritual men who are praying for me that I can talk to and share my burdens with. I am ministered to the same way that I minister to others. That is the way it's supposed to be. We are supposed to have spiritual leaders in our lives, all of us. You're not supposed to do it alone. You're supposed to have someone in your life who, can, who is in charge of your spiritual care. In fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 13 explains, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. He also goes on to say, in verse 17, obey your leaders. Okay, these, are, these are pastors and spiritual leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to them for, here's the reason why, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do, so, do this with joy and not with groaning. For what? For that would be of no advantage to you. You see, he's, we hear what he's saying here, right? It's a spiritual leader's job to keep watch over your soul. And not only that, they're going to have to give an account for how they took care of your spiritual maturity. I mean, think about this. One day you will die and you will give an account before God for your life. You will stand before God, okay, when you die. And so will your pastor. They will stand before God and be held accountable for the way that they treated you and trusted you. I had a, I had a preacher talk about um, in, in, in Georgia. And he said that, uh, he really made this point about spiritual care. And he talked about, you really don't understand the importance of spiritual care until somebody in your care dies and that you stand there next to them and then ask yourself the question, did I really do right by you? And that hit home for me because there was a young man that was in my spiritual care for a long time. And I'm just, I praise the Lord that I, 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 I poured into that young man, the gospel, but I, at even standing there, wish I would have done more. God has entrusted people to your spiritual care. That's why God wants you to be a part of the local church. It's his design for you to have someone in your life who is responsible for your spiritual care. Now you might say, well, Sherman, you know, you're just saying that. You just want me to come here and be part of your church. And you, know, you want me to here, be here so that your numbers will grow. Believe me, let me tell you, you don't have to come to this church, right? You don't have to be part of this church, right? And if you think that, that, that I'm trying to get you to buy what I'm saying so you can come under my leadership so I can have you as, a, as something else to do, I already have a lot to do already, all right? So don't, don't get me wrong. If God entrusts me with your soul, then by, by all means, you've got 100% of my life. But believe me, I'm not begging you to be here, okay? The reality is, is I'm just telling you, you need to be part of a local church, and, 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 and what I'm saying is you should find a church that you believe that God wants you to belong to, right? And then once you decide that's the one that God wants you to belong to, then you go there and you become the best member you possibly can be, 
right? And sit under that pastor's leadership. And I don't care if it's this one or if it's Pastor Mason's church or Pastor's Field church, as long as it's an orthodox, Bible-believing, Christ-centered church that lifts the essential theological foundations of the faith up, then you join that church and you become the very best member you can be, serving wholeheartedly. Okay? It doesn't have to be here. We certainly would welcome you here, but it doesn't have to be here. But don't let yourself buy into the lie that you don't need to be part of the church because you do need to be part of the church. You need fellowship in your life and loving people guiding you and strengthening you. You need that fellowship. And not just that, you need to get plugged in. You need to get involved in serving and growing as part of the mission of the church, which is, which is you know, what we do here, right? Our mission is to create spiritually mature in Christ followers. Which actually leads me to the third issue or the third development in our culture that's weakening the, the church. One of the things that's weakening the church is a growth of a misguided mission. You see, there are a lot of people right now who just kind of like by default have bought into this kind of anti-establishment mentality, right? There's a lot of people who bought into this mentality. And believe me, you have to realize you are more influenced by culture's philosophy than you realize, Okay? But people have bought into this anti-establishment mentality where people are like, you know, we're going to tear down anything that's an institution, anything that's organized, right? We need to tear down the government. We need to tear down social organizations. That's why people are saying we need to tear down gender constructs and the institution of marriage. We need to tear down the institution of the nuclear family. We need to tear down the church because nobody needs to be part of some organized religion. We just need to love Jesus and love other people, Okay. I mean, I don't need the church. It's just me and Jesus and I can read scripture by myself and I can interpret it for myself without any theological training and I can go and have this robust Christian life. Let me tell you something. That's how heresies get born. That's how, the, that's how Mormonism was born, by the way. It's exactly how it was born. Same with Jehovah's Witnesses. Same with the Branch Davidians. Remember those guys, right? Same with the Jonestown movement. Who remembers those guys? Yep. All right. That's why there's so many crackpot theologians preaching the craziest ideas on YouTube. That's why, you know, we've accepted so much heresy in our culture. It's the way that our culture the way it is. There are people who think that they're just going to go ahead and start reading the Bible and interpret scripture without being taught anything like context or hermeneutics or presuppositions with no real theological or biblical training, with no theology of the Bible or God or of sin or the nature of man. And then they're going to go out and start their own Bible study and start their own movement. And they think that God's going to have this real big move in their lives and they're they're deceiving themselves. I'm going to be honest with you. I used to think that. I used to think I didn't need the church, right? I mean, I bought into that idea that I didn't need a theological training, you know, to, to start my own movement of God or what I've learned, what I've come to understand after being around a lot of godly men and, and having mentors in my life and, 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 and what I've learned from, from getting an education, a real education in this area is that standing right here, And right now, there's something that separates us from the apostles of the early church. You see, I used to say things like, a lot of people say, well, I don't need no theological training to lead a church. I don't need to study. I mean, the apostles, they didn't go to school. I mean, they didn't have no theological. Those guys were poor. They were fishermen, right? They were uneducated. They didn't go to Fuller Theological Seminary. They didn't go to John MacArthur's seminary. They didn't go to Yale School of Divinity or Liberty University. They didn't go to any of those places that you're talking about. I mean, Peter didn't have a master's degree in theology. Well, the reality is, it's a false argument because 
it actually gets the categories wrong. The reason why it's a false argument is simply this. <laughs> These guys studied under the master, Amen. right? They were discipled by the rabbi, the teacher, Jesus himself, all right? They were taught by God in the flesh. They were there with him, talking to him, listening to what he had to say, letting him teach them, supernaturally giving them insights, right? They were there with God. They were there in the presence of God himself. They stood in the presence of God and they watched him do miracles and they listened firsthand to his sermons and they asked him questions and they spent time with him and they were there together with him like three and a half years. Wherever he went, they went. Wherever he did, they did. And believe me, Jesus said and did more than what was written in the Bible. In fact, John says in, in the end of his gospel, now there, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Okay? Were, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So there's lots of things that the apostles learned from Jesus. They didn't even write down. Right? You see, these guys were the original ones with the original doctorate degrees in theology and pastoral care. They're the ones who, who had the original degrees, and they knew the, the languages. They knew the Greek and the Hebrew, okay? and, they, and they were the original under-shepherds. They got their training, and more than that, they're the ones who wrote the book. They wrote the Bible. They taught you know, the, the, what they learned to their disciples, passing it on in person to these disciples who then taught their disciples. Now, what's the difference between them and us? Well, we're separated by 2,000 years of history and philosophy and culture and 2,000 years of garbage. That's the reason why. We need to be able to sift through not just the English translation, but we need to be able to sift through history. We need to be able to sift through the cultural context. We need to be able to sift through the church tradition, which is, which is why the Reformation came in the first place. We need to, to sift through original languages, okay? That's why people study those original languages. Remember Dr. David Larson, he said that the Greek has tenses in it that don't even exist in English. Well, how in the world are you going to understand and convey the meaning of the text if you don't actually take the time to unpack that? And, and, and here's the thing is, is we're not all going to be able to do all that on our own by ourselves anyway. That's how heresies are born. People grab a Bible, start reading the Bible, and they start trying to interpret it their own way. And they're like, oh, I read this text, and this is what it means to me, right? And they share that with a couple of different people. And next thing you know, they have their, their own little echo chamber on the internet of about 10 people who are saying, yeah, you're right, and you're smart, right? And I'm telling you, there are people who have these crackpot ideas. If they have 10 followers on, online, they think that they're the Messiah. They think that everybody else in the world is wrong, and they're the only ones in history that's ever been right, the internet's full of those kind of perspectives. That's why scholarship is so important. That's why theology matters. That's why theological training matters. That's why when people want to talk about their perspectives, especially things like, like the end times, you don't just go listen to the pundits who have their own perspective or who want to tell you all the stuff out of the book they're trying to sell you. You go and actually do the work. You sift through the history and, and you sift through the books and, and you sift through the scholarship and the mountains of writings and journal articles. You actually want to challenge your own assumptions and then you listen to the arguments and you seek to understand the facts and the evidence and then and only then do you draw your conclusions not simply listen to straw men arguments that that already validate the perspective that you have you do the hard work of study and real scholarship because theology matters theology matters because the truth matters because false teachers abound 
False teachers abound in our day and age. And many more false teachers are coming because they think I can take a Bible or some other um, religious book, have my own theological ideas, and then I can start my own church with no training. That is why God gave us the church to be the pillar of truth. That's why Paul says that the church is the pillar of truth. The church is the pillar of the buttress of truth in the world. It's the instrument that God is using to stand up, to hold the truth out for the world to see. And the foundation of the truth, the doctrines, the theological framework that that comes directly from the Bible. And these theological truths were codified and they were explained and strengthened by the early church during the Reformation. The Reformation was essentially where faithful men were woke up by God who realized the church was off track. They're like, we're off track. And somewhere the church became about money and indulgences and corruption and political power. Somewhere it became about, about the clergy not simply shepherding the flock, but exploiting the flock. That's why, that, why the church didn't allow people to have Bibles at the time. That's why they didn't allow them to have Bibles in their own language. The church was an instrument of control instead of an instrument of maturity. That's why the Reformation happened. So the reformers like Luther and Calvin got back to the foundational beliefs of the church. That's why the, the reformers developed the five solas. If there's a list of things that you might want to memorize. This would be it. Sola fide. That's faith alone, sola scriptura, scripture alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, sola gratia, grace alone, sola de gloria, glory to God alone is what the Reformation was about. It was about reinforcing in the church this robust foundational theology that the church was originally built on. Now, some might say, doesn't sola scriptura mean that that all I need is the Bible, you know, scripture alone, right? Well, that's not what it means. At all. It means that the word of God is the only authoritative standard for faith and practice. It's the only authoritative revelation of God and Christ. And it is supremely the standard that we are to live by. And the word is above all things, including my traditions, including my own assumptions, and including my own emotions. We were to submit ourselves to the word of God alone. That's what it's about. The Bible alone is the authority here on earth until Christ returns. Sola Scriptura means that we rely on Scripture alone for the revelation of God. And then in addition to that, God equipped preachers and ministers to teach people about Scriptures and to communicate with people the truths that are in God's word. And he has given us the church and he's given pastors to help us to navigate through the word of God to stay in the truth. And yes, laymen and regular people are supposed to have their own Bible and read it for themselves. Yes, people need to study the Bible for themselves and grow and follow along and understand what's being taught. And they also need to learn to make sure that their pastor is edified in telling the truth. That's the self-corrective mechanism that the church has is that we talk and then we can dialogue and debate, you know, and then we can work through the doctrines of the church and then seek the counsel from other churches to make sure we remain in orthodoxy, to make sure that we, we follow the essential doctrines like the inerrancy of scripture or the fact that we're born in original sin or the doctrine of God being sovereign of all things or the doctrine of the church. You see, the church, the church is God's instrument to be the pillar of the truth, not individual people, right? It's the church is the mechanism to spread the gospel around the world, okay? The church is the body of Christ. This building right here, the chairs that you're sitting in, this is not the church. We, the people 
Here are the church. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying to you. If you go out by yourself, you are still part of the church, but you are not by yourself a church. You are not the local church, right? We are all part of this church, the local church. And the things that we, the, the thing you have to understand is we are better for our unity because the purpose of the church, the purpose of this church is to create spiritually maturing Christ followers. And here's the thing, we gotta do it together because you do not become spiritually mature on your own. Understand that you can't become spiritually mature on your own. No one in the Bible has done that. There's no biblical precedent for it. There's no historical precedent for it. People do not grow to spiritual maturity on their own. That is why you need the church. That's why I need the church. And that's why the hope of the world is the Bible-believing, orthodox-teaching, Christ-centered local church. The local church is the hope of the world, especially, especially in this post-modern culture like ours. You and I need the local church. Now, I'm going to admit, this is probably a little bigger message than I should have probably fit into one sitting because we talked about a lot of stuff. I realize that. And I'm sure some of you are going to have questions. All right. And that's okay. Because for two reasons. Number one, we're going to continue to talk about this. All right. This is, we're not done talking about this. As time goes on, we're going to come back to the doctrine of the church in smaller bite-sized chunks, hopefully. But number two, if there are questions that are pressing you, right, and you need to like get them answered, then, then call me. That's what I'm here for. It's part of being a, being a preacher and a pastor, right? I'm here for that. Right? But after all the discussion, we're left with the understanding that the local church is part of God's plan. It is part of God's plan for the world. It's part of God's plan for the community. It's part of God's plan for your life. The only question you do have to answer at this point now is what are you going to do about it? Are you, what are you going to do about the church? Now, you can say, well, it doesn't matter because I can walk with God and, and not be a part of the church. Well, but please understand, you can certainly be a believer, you can certainly be a believer and not be a part of the church. You're just not walking God's plan. Don't fool yourself to think that because, you know, I'm walking in God's plan because I'm not part of the church. That is not what God's plan for your life is, right? You're not living in God's will for your life. You're not being even obedient to the word of God. You don't have to be a part of the church to be saved, but you do have to be a part of the church to be in the middle of God's will for your life. You need to be a part of a church to walk in obedience to him. Like it or not, that's the truth. And understand, if you refuse to be a part of the, true, the, the church, you're doing so because you're making your faith about you and your own wants and your own preferences and not about God and his will. And you can do that, but when you do that, you invite God's discipline in your life. And believe me, if you belong to God, he will discipline you because he disciplines those he loves. He disciplines his children, all right? Now, whether you get involved or not, that's going to be your, your decision, it's up to you. It's your choice. But I want to encourage you to embrace the truth. And, 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 and now, now that we've settled this about the truth, if, if you're someone who's not currently a member of this church, we certainly invite you to consider First Baptist Church because we are here to walk with you and help you towards spiritual maturity. Maybe, you know, but, 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 but if you think, well, maybe not because, man, Sherman, you're really long-winded and you really, you really kind of mean, you know, you really say things that hurt my feelings. That's, that's okay. I don't judge you for that. Um, just go find a church 
and become a member there, okay? And become a member, the best member you can be. Now, perhaps you're a member or maybe you're just a regular attender who, who you know, you know, it's time to kind of step up and grow, okay? Maybe it's time to get more involved. Maybe you need to become an official member of the church. Maybe you need to get serious about discipleship. Okay, I want to encourage you not to lose any momentum in this, all right? So if you have a next step that you're thinking about, what I want you to do is contact me, all right? And you can do that a couple different ways. You can call me here at the office, or you can fill out one of those information request cards in front of you, and you can turn it into me, or you can turn it into, uh, put it on that back table back there, and I'll be happy to get in contact with you, talk about your next step. But with that, let's just tell each other the truth. You need the church. I Need the church. The church is God's plan. Is God's plan for us, and it's the instrument that God shares the hope of Christ with the world. It is the guardian and the pillar of the foundational truths about God and about men and His plan of redemption for us. We need the local church. So now let us love the bride, the body of Christ, the church that God has given us. Let me pray for you, Lord. I thank you. First of all, that I can go long like that and not have half the church walk out in the middle of the sermon. I pray, thank you for people's patience with me to indulge such a big topic. But I thank you, Lord God, most importantly for your word and the truth that's found in it. Father, may I only ever preach what you would have me preach. May I only ever speak the truth that's found in your word. And may we as a church, as a as a congregation come together with this full commitment to be a body together. That you have called us to do life together. Your word says for us to love one another as, as, as Christ loved the church. As, as Christ loved us. That we are to be there for each other, to, to bear one of those burdens, to share with one another, to, to lift each other up, to encourage one another, to help each other grow into full spiritual maturity, to not be immature, falling for the stupidest things that our culture wants to show, share with us. Father, it is only through your church that we're going to be able to walk in the truth. The culture is lying to us at every turn. And more and more as the world goes increasingly dark, the church is the place where we're going to hear the real truth. And I pray, Father, that all of us would be committed to that and committed to each other in a newer and deeper way. And I pray, Father, that you would be glorified. In that. And I pray, Father, that you would fill this church up and you'd fill up Pastor Mason's church and Pastor Phil's church. Lord, there are more, there are more people in this community than, 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 than seats for the churches we have, Lord. And I pray that you'd create a revival in this town where we'd have to build new buildings if need be, Lord. I pray, Father, we'd have a passion for your name and we'd have a passion to go share the hope of Christ with the rest of the world. And we thank you for that. And I pray your blessing over all of your people here in your church. And I thank you for that in Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.